come to a time to read God's word. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 31. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metalworker casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? For who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the, heaven, of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is God's word. Our great God and Father, please be at work amongst us. These words are glorious 
and the truths could just wash over us. My words could distract from the wonder of what you stayed here. So please, would your spirit be at work to persuade us that in you we have one who is incomparable and is for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we love comparisons, uh, and particularly lists of comparisons. You can't spend long on the internet with top seven this and uh, the top ten of that and the top five. You know, we love these sort of comparisons and um, uh, which is, you know, who, which is the greatest of this. And people love these things. I mean, half of lockdown telly was shows about the list. Who is the greatest of this, that and the other? Nothing else to do. Um, greatest of this, greatest of that, top five this. I don't know if you go for such things. I've, I really enjoyed, uh, I got to the end a while back, uh, it was a podcast series on the Prime Ministers. It took, um, well, actually, by the time they finished it, 55. We're up to 57 now, of course. But uh, the 55 Prime Ministers and had an episode on each, and, um, and then we're sort of ranking them. Where do you rank them, et cetera? And, you know, some debate at the top, uh, less debate at the bottom these days, generally Liz Truss. But the... Um, uh, and uh, now they've gone on to doing the uh, the presidents, and you can listen to them. But it's quite fun. It's a, it's a silly game in one sense. You know, how do you compare wartime with peacetime prime ministers and these sort of things? But it's quite fun. We like comparisons. But our passage today, which and we're only going to look down to verse 26 uh, this morning. Uh, the rest we'll look at next time. But our passage today asks the question, um, to whom will you compare God? How do you do that? To whom will you compare the Lord? I mean, I don't know where you start with that as a question. If, if you try, I mean, here are some comparisons that uh, give you some indication. I guess who's the greatest tennis player? I'm afraid I couldn't put Djokovic. I just can't. I mean, I know he will be, but you know, let's not. Do it. But who's who's the greatest tennis player? Is it is it Roger Federer, or is it Banjo the dog? Well, you can't compare those two. Yeah, but Banjo, look, he's, he can hold a racket. Um, they're just, well, no, they're not in, really on the same league, are they? Well, what about this two? Which is the tallest building? Is it the Burj Khalifa or Sammy the Seal? <laughs> and you say, it's not even a building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the point. It's a stupid comparison. You don't compare, in terms of height of buildings, a building and an animal. It's the wrong... Ca- okay. To which, to whom in humanity will you compare the Lord? Don't do that. That's like that. It's ridiculous. You can't do it. That's the point uh, in this section of Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, The description is of a God who is other, different, completely beyond us. And uh, you get the question comes twice, verse 18 and verse 25. Verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. He's not a better version of us. He's not a more impressive human being. He's just completely different on another category. And he's good. So trust him. Now, if you were here last time, we said, uh, looking at the first uh, chunk of Isaiah, chapter 40, this is written to a people who are shattered and discouraged. 
the, the, the nation has been invaded, experienced invasion, mass deportation, languishing exile in a foreign land. Uh, and their mood you get in verse 27 of uh, uh, chapter 40. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? Here's what they're saying. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. God doesn't care is what they're saying. And uh, now the Lord is addressing them in these words in the 6th century through Isaiah and saying, comfort, comfort, comfort. I am going to build the perfect world. Comfort, not get yourself comfortable in a nice chair and have a nap, comfort. But comfort, here is strength to get you going again. You might say in Ukraine, comfort, comfort. Here are a load of tanks. Here are a load of missiles. Here are munitions. Okay, that is comforting. That puts a little bit of strength. That gets us going again. That sort of comfort. That's what the Lord is saying. Comfort to go again. Comfort. So last week we looked at uh, we, uh, verses uh, 1 to 11. And they really addressed the question, does God care what we're going through? Yes. These verses, 12 to 26, we'll look at today. Can he help? Oh, Yes. He's uniquely powerful to do so. Or or verses 1 to 11, God makes promises. Verse 12 to 26, can he keep them? Yes, he can. That's how it works together. Really, most of the application comes in 27 to 31, but we'll think a little of that next time. In terms of breaking it down, this passage, it doesn't really so, so much move logically through. It sort of circles around ideas a little bit. But let me go through it like this. Okay, it's on the sheet or it'll appear on the screen. He doesn't consult us. He doesn't need us. So with whom will you compare him? He can't be resisted. He rules over history. To whom will you compare him? That's the point of Isaiah 40. First, verses 12 to 14. Let's work around. There's just wonderful pictures here. He doesn't consult us. Verse 12, you've got these four lovely pictures of uh, his difference. Question, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Have you ever done that? I mean, occasionally some of us will... Uh, an outdoor tap or something, we might, or, or, or a fresh stream, if you can find such a thing. You, 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 you scoop it up and you can have a little in your, in your hands. And he's saying, yeah, God does that with like the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean and the Arctic Ocean and the Indian Ocean and the South China Sea, and they're just all in his hands. Those are big hands, yes. Who has, um, with the breadth of his hand, marked off the heavens? I mean, occasionally we'll use, you know, oh, how, how big does that bit of wood need to be to put up the shelf? Well, about two hands. We might do it about that. Well, God does that with the universe. That's impressive. Or um, what else have we asked? Who has uh, held the dust of the earth in a basket? I don't know how much you can fit in a basket at um, uh, the supermarket uh, and spend 200 pounds on a basket of... Um, not a lot, um, but um, the Lord can hold the earth in a shopping basket, in his shopping basket. Or which of us has weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? I don't know how big your kitchen is. I don't know how big your kitchen scales are. But they'd probably struggle with the Andes and the Pyrenees and the Alps. To, and he's saying, God puts them all. Not literally, of course. But his point is, we're just on another scale here, beyond anything we ever deal with. There is no one like him. 
And she puts together these pictures and says, well, can you do that? Can you do that, any of you? No. So don't be surprised that he doesn't ask for your help. Which is 13 to 14. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught God knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Edge to those questions, isn't there? The answer is, of course, no one. All of us at times will ask for advice. I don't know quite what to do here. We may pray, Lord, I've got no idea what to do next. God never asks for advice. He doesn't need help from anyone. And I think in the flow of Isaiah chapter 40, no one helped the Lord formulate his plan of salvation. He always chose to do that, to save a people for himself. So I read that um, Tom Bradby is retired again. You don't need to know anything about American football, and I know very little. Um, that, uh, but he's the undisputed uh, greatest player ever with his 23 seasons. He's, whatever, seven Super Bowls and most valuable players and the record for the most this, that, and everything runs and not runs, that's cricket. Uh, yards, that's, a, that's a, whatever, measurements. Anyway, he's the greatest ever. Uh, everyone recognizes that. Uh, indisputable. Do you know what? You know what annoyed me? He's never asked me for help. I mean, I think in my life, I've watched two games of American football all the way through, and he never asked me for advice, ever, not once. I've seen some highlight packages too, right? And not once has he ever asked for my opinion on how to improve his game. Obviously. Why would the Lord ask you for help or advice? He doesn't need us. Well, he doesn't consult us, first of all. And then he doesn't need us, which is pushing on the same idea. Is he, verses 15 to 17. Compared to him, humanity is really not very impressive. Surely, verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket or regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Again, all these extraordinary pictures. Just a drop in a bucket. If you had to fill a bucket of water I don't know why you would do such a thing, to wash your car or something, I don't know, and you spilled a little drip over the side, you don't notice it. It's just a drip. That's, that's us. <laughs> that's the nations uh, in terms of the scheme of things, the scale of things. The islands are just fine dust on a scale. I don't know, again, how accurate your scales are in your kitchen. But you can throw on the islands, silly islands, Australia. Uh, sorry, um, Greenland. The British Isles, continents, Americas, just throw them all on the scales. Not a gram. They're nothing compared to the Lord. And so verse 16, Lebanon, famous for its vast forests of enormous trees. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. If you thought, I tell you what, God is quite impressive, what he's done. I'll offer him a reward. I'll offer God a reward. What would it be? Well, you couldn't burn everything there was and say that's it. It's a bit like saying, Bill Gates, he's quite a good bloke, I think. He's done quite a lot. In terms, he's been charitable and, and sort of generous in, in terms of funding research. Uh, to, to, you know, you see him this week, he's sort of deeply somewhat pointed comment, I'd rather spend all my money on healing children in Africa than going to the moon. 
just not thinking of anyone in particular. Um, that's how I find it. But you know, he's been, if you decided, no, Bill Gates, I'm going to reward you for all you've done. And um, so I've, you know, I've cashed in some savings, and here's a thousand pounds. There's your reward. Well, thank you very much, he might say. That's, that's kind of you. In the scheme of things, it doesn't really affect my finances a great amount. What reward are you going to offer the Lord? And so verse 17, before him all the nations are as nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Careful. Not meaning that people mean nothing to him. But compared to him, we are nothing. You see that? It's not that we mean nothing, but we are nothing. But he bestows value upon us. Our worth comes from him. Not because we're impressive, is what's being said. So again, at this point, the writer says, well, so with whom, verse 18, will you compare God? To which image will you liken him? For an idol, a metal worker casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot and looks for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will topple. And we think, we read that and go, well, yes, old people in the past, silly ancient people used to sort of create, you know, carve a little thing and bow down to it. And we say, how silly, how very silly. Because we just do that in our imaginations. And actually, whatever you shrink God down, you're making an idol. I know, Alif, we've got a, the, the Tozer quote, the, uh, the, the pastor theologian, uh, A.W. Tozer. Some think that idolatry consists only in kneeling before visible objects of adoration and that civilized people, modern people, are free from it. No. The essence of idolatry is what? It's the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. Or put it simply, if your view of God is too small, that's an idol. With whom will you compare God? We have another cycle. He can't be resisted, verse 21, 22. He can't be resisted. So verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. The circle of the earth is just a poetic way of saying uh, the horizon, I think. We look at the vast universe and say, wow. Pictures on telly or you go to a, a, a vast cinema and they project you know, solar systems and galaxies, and we say, wow, look at the enormity of it. And God's like, yeah, I just put up my tent. It's just a tent. It's not, I mean, you know, not that impressive. He rules over everything in creation, I think is the point. Now, how wonderful, excuse me, how wonderful if you're the nation of Israel and you're battered and you've lost everything and you're languishing in exile how wonderful when you feel so feeble and powerless to be told your God is for you and he can't be resisted. It may feel like God has left, but he has not. He has promised to come. 
and bring, we thought last time, reward with him. I don't want to go back to um, issues in the Church of England, but uh, one faithful bishop um, who put out something, he put out a very good statement this week about the, the state of things, and also tweeted al- alongside it. Uh, I'm looking at this one. I'm looking at this picture at the moment. I don't know if we've got it. So um, I do if people like this slight whimsy of Charlie Makesy's book, uh, The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. Um, and uh, he's a Christian man, but this is not a Christian book particularly. But it's a book of whimsy. But uh, uh, they just tweeted this one. Obviously, a picture of a exposed outside the storm. Look at that sky, miserably dark sky, storm raging. And the question gets asked, what's the best thing you've learned about storms? That they end, says the horse. It's twee. But there's something useful about that, isn't there, in adversity. And here in Isaiah 40, the Lord is saying, yes, okay, Israel, you're in exile now, but it's coming to an end. It will end. I've promised, and I'm in control. And verses 23 and 24, he rules over history, this Lord. Verse 23, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground that he blows in them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Well, it seems particularly poignant when you've got prime ministers changing every six months or so in the UK. But uh, he brings or appoints princes, you translate it how you desire, princes to nothing. Now, in Old Testament language, of course, princes are not ornamental. Prince William or Prince Edward or whatever. Uh, the princes are, in biblical Old Testament language, powerful. But so he brings or appoints presidents and prime ministers to nothing would be the way we translate it uh, in a sort of meaningful way now. God says, I put in place and I remove. And I suppose if you certainly ask the question of anyone democratically elected in the world today, well, why are you here? Well, I'm quite competent and I, you know, I've persuaded the people that I... God says, I put you there. And you think you're impressive, but you're really very not. Boris Johnson, of course, famously as a child said he wanted to be world king. Brilliant. Um, well, Prime Minister, not bad, uh, of a sort of G7 nation, not bad, I guess, not bad. But as if the Lord says, you're very impressed with yourself having made such an achievement, but in the scheme of things, it is as if I've put you in charge of, you're responsible for paperclips in the Department of Transport. That's not a very important role, I know. But in the scheme of things, Prime Minister of the UK, compared to me, it's not a very important role. You're appointed to nothing. Compared to him. So in the end, to whom will you compare God? Verses 25 and 26. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. I don't know how many stars you can name personally. 
I mean, if you're a nerd, a few. Um, but I, if you, I mean, if you're a nerd, I guess you get to about 100. So if, you, if that's your thing, good for you. Um, but, um, you know, it's central London. You don't see many stars. Lockdown was all right, was it? No planes, etc. flying. You saw one or two few more. But when you really get out of, into the, you know, I've, I've lain down in the Sahara and looked up. Yeah, it's pretty good. Stars look pretty good. You know, the middle of the Aussie outback, nothing there. Pretty good. You see the stars. It's good. Lots of stars. Um, pretty. But um, I don't name them. Certainly have no control over them. The Lord created, sustains, names each one. Uh, if you have a couple of or haven't listened, got around to listening to the little podcast series that's on um, BBC Sounds, 13 Minutes to the Moon. It's, it's terrific. I really recommend it. 13 Minutes to the Moon. It's about NASA's attempt to, uh, to land uh, a man on the moon. And um, uh, it's, it's terrific. But uh, at one point, they tell the story that this was building up to it in 1968. Jim Lovell was one of the first astronauts on a rocket to uh, circumnavigate the moon. Not a Christian man, but uh, he commented uh, on his circumnavigation of the moon. He said, uh, I could put my thumb up to the window and completely hide the earth. And I thought to myself, everything I've ever known is behind my thumb. What a small people we are. That's right. Compared to the Lord, humanity is tiny. To whom will you compare God? Well, he's like... Yeah, of course, the Bible gives us similes. Uh, he's like a rock, dependable, reliable. He's like a shepherd, sort of caring, looks after. But we can't hold all these images and metaphors and similes in our head at the same time. We just can't do it. In the end, we say God is... Ah, infinitely greater. And even those words are just a bit feeble in describing him. To whom will you compare God? Okay, so take a step back. <laughs> Look, behold your God. There is no one who compares to him. There is no thing that compares to him. But what do you and I uh, do with that? How does that truth affect us. Well, in context, Isaiah is writing to a broken and discouraged people to say, he's promised to save you. Verses 1 to 11, he is powerful to save you, 12 to 26. He's saying to people, you must not despair when you have a God like this. You can't despair when you have a God like this. So perhaps if for those of us who are Christians, we can be like God's people back then and forget. It's easy to overlook or forget emotionally the fact that God is in charge of all things and he has a purposeful plan and he cares deeply for his creation. It's easy to overlook that when you read a newspaper or watch the news and think, oh, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of evil. Yeah, yeah, of course it is. It's harder even still to believe that he's uniquely powerful to save and he cares for you when your life personally is chaotic or feels a little bit like it's in ruins. 
And so we need the truths of Isaiah 14. We need these promises. We need them. And you you and I could also say, we've seen this in action when God walked the planet in Jesus. We've seen him live this out. So Jesus never consulted anyone for advice. You can read through the Gospels. Not often does he say, look, Peter, I'm a bit uncertain what to do next. What would you recommend? Quite the opposite. He never consults. He never needs input. He's never enlightened by another human being. Of course, he was there at the beginning of creation. We're told all things were made by him, for him, through him. He's powerful, but uses his power to save. Of course, he gave his life to die for sinners like you and me, when his friends were saying, oh, you don't want to do that. So I didn't consult them. That's how he uses his power. And he alone cares for you with a love that would endure hell for your sake. There's no one like him. He alone is powerful to keep you all the way through this life, even in its uncertainties and adversities, all the way to heaven. There is no one like him. That's so as I thought he would say to you and me, look at Jesus. Behold your God. And don't wonder if the Lord cares for you. He's shown in Jesus Christ that he does, that he's powerful to save. Behold him. Look at him. Be comforted. Find fresh strength. Let's pray together. Father, we read this passage with its long list of questions, which, if we're proud, we may find offensive. Most of the time we read them and we laugh and we say, well, of course, there is no one who can do that. There's no one who holds all the oceans in his hands. There is no one who controls the rising and the falling of every leader. Father, we laugh when we read these questions. Uh, and Father, in a right sense, would we behold you and laugh, laugh with relief that you are on the throne of the universe, laugh with joy that the one who is powerful is good and cares for us. You don't just have the ability to name every star and direct its fate. You know each and every one of us by name and are working for our good. Father, would we behold you and trust you? In Jesus' name, amen.